The Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. There used to be a catchy song on Sesame Street that was played to help you learn similarities and dissimilarities. And some of you of a certain age might even remember the jingle. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell which thing is not like the others by the time we finish our song? Now, what in our text for this week could possibly make me think of Sesame Street and one of these things not being like the others? Well, the answer is in the two verses from our Old Testament reading that I just shared with you. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall not be like the others. You shall not be the same. You are going to be the ones who will be different because you know my name. I am the Lord your God. So when I read that text and I thought of that jingle from Sesame Street, I immediately wanted to go to my commentaries and to my library to find out what exactly the Egyptians and the Canaanites were like seemed to me that's kind of critical to understanding that verse. If you don't want to be like the Egyptians and you don't want to be like the Canaanites, somebody must know what they were doing and what they were thinking and saying that God said not to think and say and do. And yet pretty much every commentary that I went to said, yeah, you shouldn't be like the Egyptians. Yeah, shouldn't be like the Canaanites. So let's talk about the rest of the stuff and the statutes and the rules that Moses is going to lay out. So that made me ask another question. How come nobody talks about these things? How come even Moses just simply drops in there, don't be like the Egyptians and don't be like the Canaanites and never explains what that's all about? Well, the answer is pretty obvious if you think about it. The Israelites just left Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt and their ancestors slaves in Egypt for almost four centuries. They knew well what it meant to walk like an Egyptian and talk like an Egyptian and think like an Egyptian. Nobody had to go into extended detail into what that was all about. And the same with the Canaanites. They are about to be surrounded by Canaanite culture. They won't be able to get away from it. It's going to be in their food and their drink. It's going to be in everything they hear and everything they see. Despite the fact that they are supposed to raise the cities to the ground and eliminate all the people, they're still going to be the high places. They're still going to be the Asherahs and the Yahweh poles. They will be constantly, constantly imbibing into themselves what it means to be Canaanite. 
They'll know what it means to be Egyptian and Canaanite. The thing the Israelites will not know is the rules and statutes of the Lord, how to walk in them and how to live by them. Because you see, they are so different. The Canaanites and Egyptians were very similar. But the rules of our Lord caused the Israelites to stand apart. It's the same with us. We live and breathe Montreal culture because this is where we are. You can't really get away from it, I guess, unless you move to the Eastern Townships. But then you're living and breathing in Eastern Township culture. It's there. You can't run away from it. It's at the stores that you shop in. It's the radio you listen to. It's the TV you have turned on, even the TV that you're streaming. So it doesn't need to be explained. We all know our own culture too well. And the reality is we are all encultured people. We all have a culture. It was one of the first things I learned in college. Growing up as a Canadian, we're always taught that we are a multicultural society. And there is that tendency amongst people that have been born and raised here in the mainstream of culture to think that multiculturalism is for everybody else. People like me that look like me are just normal. But we have a culture too. Everyone does. We have foods that we like. We have music that we sing. We have habits that we have been formed in. We have routines that we do. Things that we need to explain to other people. I went to a youth gathering years ago in Dallas, Texas, back in 1991, 31 years ago, actually, this week. And right before the gathering, we flew in early, the three of us who were Canadians, there was a multiracial youth leadership conference that was part of the National Youth Gathering. He said, well, let's go and see what that's all about. And there were different caucuses meeting this multicultural youth leadership conference. There were Asian Americans, Latin Americans, Native Americans, and Euro-Americans. And I thought, Euro-Americans, let's go check that out. That must be like all the new immigrants from Norway and Denmark and Germany and France that have all come to the United States. And I showed up, and guess who was in the room? People like me. <laughs> I'm a Euro-Canadian. We all have a culture. The problem is... The culture that we were born and raised in is not God's culture. God's culture is different, and it makes us different from the world. It makes us stand out. It makes us be the one that people sing about and say, one of these groups is not like the others. One of these things doesn't belong. Can you tell which group of people is not like the others by the time we finish our song? So the Lord has to speak through Moses and give a description. What does it look like to be my people? What does my culture look like? And he says, you are the ones who do not reap your field right up to its edge or reap your vineyard bare. When the sojourner who is not one of you comes amongst you, they're going to need stuff to eat. The poor that are not advantaged enough to have a vineyard or to have a field, are also going to need something for their families. 
The Lord has provided you with all this bounty. Yes, take your first harvest, but leave the rest for those who need it. That's the kind of people my people are in the world. It's a little bit like kind of what we did on cleanup day, where we didn't clean everything. We left a lot of cleaning to be done by people from our community who were not members of the congregation, but that needed something to give to the government to show that they were involved in their community. And we were happy to write letters for people looking to get their visas and their residency and let them do some of the cleaning. We didn't clean all of it. We let them clean some. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. God provides for what his people need. The rest of the world is panicked. Will we have enough to eat? Will we have a place to live? Will we get a good education? Will we have enough pension when we retire? God says, my people will not be like the others. We don't have to rig the scales to get a little bit extra after every sale. We don't have to lie to people to try and make our way in life. God will provide for us. He will make sure that we have the things we need. Life is not a competition where if anyone wins, someone else loses. Not if we believe and trust in the Lord who has made us his people. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind or to put it In different words, you will not take advantage of other people's disadvantages. You will not look at somebody else and say, I think I can get a leg up on them. Look how fat they are. Look how short they are. Look how tall they are. Look how uneducated they are. I can do better than them and get ahead on their shoulders. You shall not do that if you are my people. You are not going to be like the others. You are not going to be the same. You shall not hate your brother or your sister in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbors. It is no accident that it was out of Christian countries that democracy first took hold. Because we knew how to deal with people who didn't think like us. We dealt with them frankly, honestly. We had conversations. We learned to resolve our differences or find ways to live with them. We didn't have to turn our neighbor into a demon just because we didn't agree with them. That's what the others do. It's the natural way of the world. That isn't somebody who has a disagreement with me. That is somebody that I must oppose to the very fiber of my being. God says, it shall not be so for my people. Have conversations. Figure it out. Because that's what I, the Lord your God, have done with you in Christ. Now, this is quite a list. It's a heavy thing to go through on a Sunday morning in July when the sun is out and everything is quite nice. It is easy to imagine how great the world would be if God's people truly did live like this. But it's hard to imagine how you put it into practice when so many people would think that living like this is frankly just crazy. 
So one way to approach this is to approach it like a list. Let's make a list of all the things God says we ought to do as his people that will be different from the Egyptians and the Canaanites and Montreal and Quebec and Canada. But when we make a list like that, we miss the point. This isn't a list. It's a description. It's a picture of how we look different from everyone else. It's a picture of a red balloon floating in a whole sea of blue balloons. It's a picture of the one circle in the midst of all of the squares. It's a picture of the one yellow duck in the middle of the room filled with kittens. One of these things you see is not like the others. And so when a lawyer who was well-versed in the lists of the Old Testament and knew all of the X's and Y's and Z's, knew how to dot his I's and cross his T's, came to Jesus and said, can you help me refine my list? Jesus knew he could not answer with another list, but instead he tells a story. You see, because lawyers love lists. Engineers love to check boxes. Accountants like to make sure that the spreadsheet is fully completed. But when you're forming character, you can't just give a to-do list. And so Jesus paints a picture of what his people look like and just how they are different. What they do when they find a person who's half dead by the side of the road. They don't immediately pull out the rule book and say, okay, half dead person by the side of, oh, half dead? That could mean fully dead. If I touch them, I become unclean. Here's the list of rituals I have to go through to become clean. Oh my gosh, it's going to take a week. I don't have a week because I got a family to look after. Better not bother crossing over the road. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what the priest and the Levite did. That was their calculus. The Samaritan didn't go through that calculus. He didn't even care that the person might have been a Jew and might have been horrified that a Samaritan was handling him. All he saw was a man dying by the side of the road. And he said, I'm going to be different. Because the other two people could only think about if I go to help that person, how will it affect me? I'm going to think about what happens if I don't go over to that person, what will happen to them? That's the description. God's thoughts, you see, are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. We are greedy. We are selfish. We are more concerned about our wages than the wages of others. We are very quick to hate, but very slow to reason, frankly, with our neighbor. We are always giving an excuse why we can't or shouldn't help our neighbor or arguing that maybe they aren't our neighbor at all because they come from somewhere else because they shouldn't be here because we don't want them on our street. Jesus comes into that world in the midst of people like that, like us, and shows compassion for the sick love for the lost, and anger at the nitpickers and rule followers and do-I-have-to-ites. And he sticks out like a sore thumb. He is the red balloon amongst the blue. He is the duck amongst the kittens. He is the one who does not fit in. And so, of course, 
we will do with to him what we do with anyone who is different. We crucified him. And God did for him what he does for those who are like him. He raised him from the dead. Death will not have the last say. Those who are different from the world will be with me eternally. Jesus, you see, chose to become and take into himself what it means to be like us so that we might become like him, different from everything and everyone around us. He will, as Paul promised, fill us with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. You and I just used to be like everybody else. We were caught in the kingdom of darkness, stumbling around in the darkness, not knowing how to be different. But now, as Paul says, we have been qualified in Jesus to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's what we have from the one who came into the world that we killed, but that God raised from the dead that we might be saved. One of these things is not like the others. It's Jesus, and we who are in him by faith. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.